0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: Most of us have seen, or maybe even have some, uh, what are called Christian T-shirts—a T-shirt that maybe displays your your faith in God or your faith in, in Jesus Christ in, in some way. I have some of those T-shirts, but I'll tell you something: with or without the T-shirt. People ought to be able to tell that Christ is a part of our lives and that there's a difference that is made because Christ is in our life.
0: Today we come to the last installment of our series entitled Cross Culture in 3D, So Real You Can Touch It. It's a series that was designed to help all of us understand what it takes to make our faith come alive and real enough in our lives that those around us see the difference Christ makes.
1: We're supposed to make disciples. We're supposed to be part of this duplication process. Uh, Someone led me to Christ. Now, how do I help someone else come into a relationship with Christ and then grow up in that relationship? How do we duplicate ourselves?
0: I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Last week, we began our discussion on the last of the three dimensions, duplication, Today, Pastor Clay is going to continue his study on our responsibility to make disciples. We're going to be looking at a number of different passages that gives us the various components needed for disciple duplication. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's message.
1: Today we do come to uh, the last message in this series Uh, that we've been doing, dealing with the different dimensions uh, that should be evident in the life of a follower of Jesus uh, Christ. Uh, You've heard me say it a number of times if you've been here, uh, cross-culture in 3D, so real that you can touch it, so real uh, as your faith is lived out in the everyday experiences of your life that people actually can notice that there is a difference with that person. I, I, I don't know if I agree with them. I don't know if I believe in their Jesus, but I can certainly see that, that she believes, that he believes in their Jesus, and it seems to make a difference in their life. That's what we're talking about. That our faith, our belief system manifests itself into the stuff of our life, the, the trials, the tribulations, the heartaches, uh, the, the hardships, the, the good times, the joys. That through all of it, our faith comes out, our belief system comes out. It's, it's, it impacts the decisions we make, the thoughts that we have, uh, the interactions that we have with others. And people can see that it matters. We started with the dimension of desire way back uh, 13, 14 weeks ago. We started with the dimension of desire, and and the desire for God, and I said way back then, the desire to know Him and the importance of that, uh, the desire to grow in Him, the importance of that, and the desire to show Him, even as I was just talking about, to show Him to the world around us. You know, most of us have seen or maybe even have some, some uh, what, what, what are called Christian t-shirts, a t-shirt that maybe displays your your faith in God or your faith in, in Jesus Christ in, in some way. Maybe you have some of those t-shirts. Nothing wrong with those t-shirts. I, I have some of those t-shirts, but I'll tell you something. With or without the t-shirt, people ought to be able to tell uh, that Christ is a part of our lives and that there's a difference that is made because Christ is in our life. I know you've probably all heard about the uh, lady that was uh, driving down the road uh, quite quickly. She was going way too fast. She was late for wherever it was she was trying to get to, and so she was in a hurry. None, I'm sure none of y'all have ever done that or exceeded the speed limit or anything else like that, but, but this lady was, you know, she was like crazy, out of control, having to get somewhere, and uh, weaving in and out of traffic, and uh, she was coming up on a, on a traffic light that was green, and, and so she was, she was flooring it, you know, because she needed to make this light, and the light turned yellow, and, and sure enough, the, la- the, the the person in front of her uh, put on the brakes and stopped, and so she was forced to stop, and she went ballistic. Did y'all hear about this lady? <laughs> uh, she, she just went, <laughs> somebody said, yeah, you, that's, you just described my wife. <laughs> <laughs> she, went, she just went, she went crazy, man, she squalled on the brakes, she laid on the horn, she started just yelling and screaming and using foul language about the person in front of her she she stuck her arm out and and uh, gave the universal hand signal for you're not a very good driver <laughs> and and before she even realized it a police officer was standing at her at her car door and he opened the door and he pulled her out of the car and he threw her in handcuffs and he threw her into his, his squad car and, and took her off to jail and she's screaming, what, what are you doing? What, what, why are you arresting me? What did I do? And the officer doesn't say a thing, he just takes her to jail. About two hours later after being in the holding cell, uh, he, he, the arresting officer comes and gets her and he opens the, the cell and he says, ma'am, I'm, I'm so sorry about the uh, mix-up, but you see I was uh, about two cars behind you at that traffic signal. And, uh, and when I saw you slam on the brakes and, and lay on the horn, and, and I heard you begin to yell and scream and, and use uh, such uh, language as you did towards that person in, in uh, front of you, and when I saw you stick out your arm and use the universal hand signal for you're not a very good driver, and, and the lady interrupter and said, yeah, I, okay, I was mad, but I didn't, I didn't break any traffic laws. And he said, well, yes, ma'am, but you got to understand when when I saw the, the fish symbol on the trunk and the, and the uh, Jesus is Lord bumper sticker, and, and I saw the follow me to church tag in the back window, well, naturally I assumed the car was stolen. <laughs> it, ought, it ought to come out of us, right? It ought to be something about us that we show them this desire in our lives. We also talked about discipline. That was the second dimension of a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Specifically, six disciplines that should be built into our lives. And I'm not going to go back over those. I have a number of times, but you can go back and listen to the weeks that we went through those messages and we looked at the various disciplines that God's Word says need to be built into our lives to make this thing uh, come out and become more real and mature in us and all these types of disciplines that God wants uh, built into our lives. And then last week... I began the last dimension of the fully devoted follower of Jesus and that is duplication. And in, and in duplication, and discussing it last week, we looked at uh, from a very familiar passage of Scripture to some of us, what's known as the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. We looked at, at just kind of two reminders about us as a church and, and us who make up the church, the body of Christ, that, that we're called to do something. And, and if you were here, I'm sure it's etched vividly on your mind that I talked about the fact that we need to be uh, proactive uh, when it comes to going out and, and reaching people for Jesus Christ and, 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 and making disciples, what Jesus said. He said, go, and then the commandment, make disciples. So we, we've got to be proactive about it. We can't just, just hope people come in. Or it, we have to be proactive about it. And I also said that we have to be productive about it. We have to be productive about making fully devoted followers of Christ. Not just bringing them in the doors. You remember I talked about it? not just bringing them in the doors. Jesus said, uh, baptizing them. And teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. It's a productive, Christ-filled life. That's what he talked about. That's what I went over some last week. But how do you do that? Okay, be proactive. Be productive. We're supposed to make disciples. We're supposed to be part of this duplication process. Uh, Someone led me to Christ. Now, how do I help someone else come into a relationship with Christ and then grow up in that relationship? How do we duplicate ourselves? How do we make more disciples? Specifically, uh, really, hands-on, what does that look like? How do you do that? If somebody doesn't want to walk with Jesus, uh, then nothing I can say or do is going to make much difference. There has to be a desire there in their lives to be receptive to God's drawing on their life. I can't just make them, but still, I've got this call on my life. I've got this charge on my life, as all of us do, to make disciples. So how do we do that? I want to just help you understand how we, how we help people that come to Christ come into this, this process of fully devoted follower of Jesus. It begins with this. It begins by introducing them to Jesus. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because, quite frankly, we've spent the last couple of weeks discussing this idea of our charge to go and reach out and to, <clears throat> to see people come to Christ. But the truth is, if, someone, if you want to see someone become a disciple of Jesus, you have to introduce them to Jesus. In Mark chapter 6, we find this. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. And he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them... Many things. Jesus uh, goes ashore there, that that passes in Mark chapter six. He comes upon this crowd, this crowd that's been waiting for him. And when he when he comes upon this crowd and he looks out on them, the text says Jesus' uh, feelings are that that he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Now, in our contemporary context. The analogy of sheep and shepherds maybe is not quite as impactful today as it was then. But in Jesus' day, sheep and shepherds were everywhere. They were just a, a part of life. They were a part of that culture. They were, they were common to, to everybody's life. They, they were in Jesus' day, sheep and shepherds were in Jesus' day as As car dealerships on Capitol Boulevard or furniture dealerships on Glenwood Avenue are in ours today. They they were everywhere. And Jesus says, you know, these, these people, when I look at them, that's what they look like to me. They look like sheep without a shepherd. A number of years ago, I read Philip Keller's book entitled, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And one of the things that Keller points out in that book is how completely and totally and hopelessly lost sheep are without a shepherd they are for all practical purposes completely vulnerable and on top of that they're stupid now please don't call the animal rights people on me i'm not trying to insult sheep nor am i trying to insult the people that jesus compared these sheep too. But the truth is, sheep without a shepherd don't stand a chance. They're usually totally oblivious to what's going on around them, from what I understand. They will wander off into dangerous situations without giving any thought to it. They're totally unsuspecting of predators that are around them, for the most part. They're helpless. They're Hopeless and Jesus looks at them and he the way he looks at people today, the same way, and he and he has compassion on them. He sees them, man, those are like those sheep that, unless they have a shepherd in their life, they don't stand a chance. There's no hope for them. It's that kind of compassion. I, I was thinking about uh, sending in my oldest son JC when he was a little boy, he was three, four, five years old, he got a infection in his face. And uh, Cindy took him to the doctor, and uh, the doctor immediately sent him on to the emergency room because there was some fear that the infection could spread and go to his brain and, and uh, could, could kill him. Um, and so, took him to the hospital, and he's in the ER, and we're there, and they're trying to put an IV into him. He's just a little boy, you know, and they're trying to put this IV in, and, and whoever it was that was doing it, they couldn't get the IV in. Y'all ever had that experience? They just couldn't get it in, and, and they just kept sticking him and sticking him and sticking him and sticking him. And he's just screaming every time, you know, they stick him. He's just screaming out. And C and, and I, you know, we're standing there just outside or just, you know, beyond where they're doing. And he's just screaming, you know, Mommy, Daddy, help me. Mommy, Daddy, don't. Don't let them do it. Stop. They're hurting me. Help me. Mommy, Daddy. And it was, uh, it was gut-wrenching. It was gut-wrenching. And And, and in that moment... All I wanted to do was help him. All I wanted to do was, if, if there was any way possible, was was to take his place. But I, but I couldn't do it. I, I think it's that same kind of compassion that Jesus had that day for that crowd. That kind of yearning to, to help them. Listen, the great thing is, though, he, he was able to do something about it. He was able to trade places with us, dying the death that... That we deserve, that should have been ours, so that we could take up the life that He offers and so badly need. We have to introduce people to Jesus if we want to see them grow up in their relationship with Jesus. I want you to think about this with me, and then we'll move on. We have the answer. Now, now, now think about that with me. We have the answer to what is ailing people in this world families that are hurting, fear, anxiety, uncertainty, anger, wars, and all, kind, all this stuff. We have the answer to that, and His name is Jesus. We have to introduce people if we're going to see them become what God wants them to be in their lives. Here's a second idea. We need to introduce them to Jesus, and we need to intercede for them as well. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, it says this, the Apostle Paul's writing this letter to the church in Colossae. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Watch this. That you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's very specific about what he's praying for, for these new believers in Colossae. And one thing is clear, the Apostle Paul understands that he has a responsibility to be involved in the lives of these people. And while he may not have been able to be with them in Colossae all the time, it didn't mean that he couldn't pray for them all the time, to lift them up to the God of heaven and to pray that God would work and have his will in their life and that their lives would would be shaped into the image of Christ and they would walk, as he says, in a manner worthy of their calling. They would walk as Christ would have them to walk and that they would increase in their knowledge of Christ Jesus to intercede. Do we do that? Do we intercede for those that, that we see come into a relationship with Christ or that are brothers and sisters in Christ that are trying to grow in this thing like you and I? Are, listen, uh, we have been interceding in these days for the physical needs of, of Felicity Brown, this one-year-old little baby girl, Will and Jenna's little girl, Felicity, for the physical needs for, for God just to supernaturally intervene. And by the way, uh, uh, we, there was a good report this weekend. The, the, the reports finally came back. And uh, if you haven't read it, uh, Felicity's re- test results showed that she is still in, their, in the intermediate risk area, which is what they were, they were praying for and hoping for, uh, because the survival rate, from a medical standpoint, the survival rate is much higher if you're in the intermediate risk area versus the high risk area. We know that God ultimately is in charge and in control of the situation, and we pray and, and we believe that, uh, but they got a good report, and they ask you to keep praying. By the way, if you don't get those reports... Uh, if you said, well, I haven't seen an update in a while. The reason is because Jenna set up a a, a web address-like thing that you can go to and get these reports just a way that you can keep up to speed real quickly. If you don't have that address, if you didn't see it when we sent it out, uh, you can see my wife Cindy, and I'm sure she can get that uh, to you. But we have been praying for the physical needs of Felicity, and well, we should be. It has been a beautiful demonstration of the body of Christ ministering to those who are part of that body. Well, we should be. But are the spiritual needs... Of those who are also our brothers and sisters and that perhaps are babes in Christ? Are those spiritual needs any less important than the physical needs of those that we pray for? Let me just real quickly just give you some areas where you can uh, think about being in, in prayer for them. Pray for a hedge of protection. Listen, the enemy is real. As best I understand it, his number one objective is to keep people from committing their lives to Jesus Christ. To keep people from coming into a relationship with Christ so that you will miss what God has for you and spend eternity in hell, the same place where He will be. This is the number one objective. But beyond that, for people who come into a relationship with Christ to try and and steal their joy, kill their relationships, just destroy their walk with Christ as best He can, pray for a hedge of protection that God would watch over and protect those who are His. We need to intercede. Uh, Pray for a heart for God. Just... Man, it's so, it is so exciting to see a new believer come to a relationship with Christ because oftentimes they're very excited about their, their newfound faith and they're, 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 just, they're just ready to take on the world. But I tell you, it's amazing how, how the world and, and, and our flesh and the things can just begin to distract us and can begin to pull us away from those times. I pray that they would have a heart for God, that they would keep that heart for God, that you and I would keep that heart for God. Because I tell you something, if somebody is hot-hearted for God, Man, they they won't quit. They'll just stay in it. They'll just work at it no matter what the enemy throws their way or the world or anything else. Pray that for people. Intercede for them. Pray they'd have a heart for God. Third, pray for hunger for the Word, for the Word of God. I've pretty much been in vocational ministry for the last 20 years. And for 20 years, I've been saying this to anybody that would listen to me. The wisdom of God is found in here. The power of God is found in here. The promises of God are found in here. And the only way to move it from here to here is to open it and feast on it. To hunger for the word of God. I'm so glad my father-in-law is here today. He's amen-ing the mess out of me. To feed on the word of God. Do you pray that for yourself and for others? God, give me a hunger for your word that I might know it, and that I might apply it to my life. I, uh, I, I, a couple months ago, we had a lady in our, in our neighborhood, in our townhome subdivision where we live, uh, a single lady whose home got broken into. Uh, I found out Friday, I was talking with a guy that lives next to her, and he was telling me, he said, do you know that she had just very recently before that break-in had uh, put in an uh, alarm system? He so said she just felt like she needed an alarm system, and she had the alarm system, uh all in place and everything he said but for whatever reason he said i don't know if she forgot i don't know if she just didn't bother with it, whatever but she just that that particular day she just didn't turn the alarm system on listen I, I, I would venture to say and if i'm wrong you come up to me after the service and i will take care of it i'll get you one but i would venture to say that everyone in this room probably has at least one copy of this what do you do with it what do i do with it we need to help people hunger for the word of God and one of the best ways we can do that is use the power of prayer to intercede for them and ask God to do just that and then uh, just one other thing to pray pray for hands for the work man if people come into a relationship with Christ and are doing this and a lot of times they don't okay what, what am I supposed to do Pray for them. Pray that, that they would have... Man, I, I want to be a part of this. Help them un- pray that God would help them understand that they have the opportunity to be a part of something that is so much bigger than whatever this life has to offer. So much bigger than whatever they can accomplish in their career. So much bigger than, than, than any fame or fortune or fad that would come along. But the opportunity to be invested and to have a part in something that is kingdom-purposed. I've, I've, that's another thing I've been saying for 20 years. God has created you and me, in such a way that we need to serve. You you, you may not believe, but you need, but you don't know my schedule. You don't know what all I've got to do. You don't know, I know. Y'all are probably ten times busier than I am. But to, to, to have this need within you, to actually put your hands to the work and say, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to be invested in this kingdom work. Intercede for them. Third idea. Not only interceding for them, but instruct them. Again, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Look at this. The Apostle Paul, remember he's writing to the church in Colossae. We proclaim Him. Who's Him? Capital H, notice. Who's Him? Okay, I think you said it right. (laughs) We proclaim Him. We proclaim Christ admonishing every man, every person, and teaching every man with all wisdom... So that we may present every man, every person, complete in Christ. Do you see what Paul's saying? Paul's saying it, it, salvation, salvation isn't the end goal. Salvation is the starting line, ladies and gentlemen. Do, do you get that? Oh, I'm saved. I'm saved. Good to go. Going to heaven. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. I'm telling you, that's, that's just the starting line. Paul makes it clear that the, that the end goal, that his, his purpose and his calling was to be able to present every person, as Paul says, complete, in Christ, full, mature, growing, serving, ministering, living out the Christ-like life, to instruct them in the things. That, let, me, let me just say this real quickly. I, I realize that as, as, the, as the teaching pastor of Cross-Culture Church, I may have the primary responsibility as far as this church is concerned, of, of teaching the Word of God. But we have all kinds of people that are involved in that. The other elders that serve at Cross Culture are, are, are all uh, teachers. We have life group uh, teachers who come alongside and teach the Word of God. We have people who serve in C2 Kids ministry that teach children. By the way, parents have the primary re- responsibility of teaching their children the things of God. We're, we're, a, we're a tool for you. We're an asset, I hope. An asset for you, I hope. We, we, we come alongside. We want to help you as a church to help your children grow. But, but it's parents' responsibility. But to teach them the Word of God. And this is my commitment to you. Because that's at the heart of Cross-Culture churches to make fully devoted followers of Jesus. We'll teach you the Word of God. If you really want to learn it, we'll teach you how to, how to live out this life that God has called you to do if you're willing to work at it. Oh, man. You mean i got to work? You do. you got to work at it. If you really want this thing. And can I tell you this? If, if, this, if this thing, if this Christ thing is real in me, I'll, I'll want it. You, you, won't, you won't settle for, for fluff. You, you'll want the, the real stuff, the right stuff. That's, that's what you want in your life. It's, it's to instruct them in the truths and the principles of God's word. Okay, I'll say this too. Because just I was thinking about this just today or last night. One of the things used to really just tick me off when I was in student ministry... Dave, when I was in student ministry, uh, one of the things that just, ah, bug me, was when I, from time to time, I'd have a parent, a well-meaning, no doubt well-meaning parent, come up and say, well, now, now Clay, you know, you can't teach them that. That's, that's too deep. That's, that's too much Bible. That, you, you, they're not ready for that. Here it comes. They're teenagers. <laughs> And I'm thinking, dude, they're learning complex mathematical equations. They're learning fundamentals of physics. They're learning about chemistry and biology and and all these other classes. And no parent ever says, oh, you don't have to study that. That's way beyond you. (laughs) And and we think we, ah, you know what I'm saying? We got to instruct people. Whether children, I'm so grateful for the people that serve here in so many various capacities. It starts with Coral and her C2 Kids, uh, and, and 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 Dave and the Student Ministry, and, and Bill and the Life Group teachers, and and the, we're we're committed to teach the Word of God to you, and we'll do that. We'll instruct you in the things of God, if you want it, and we need to help others do it. Okay, uh, what's the next one I got? Uh, real quickly coming up, inspect them. Oh no, we want to hear this one, inspect them. But but we gotta we gotta do this. Uh, Real quickly remember what what I got to take to make a fully devoted follower of Jesus y'all ready to inspect some people's lives All right, well, let's look at something Uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 the apostle Paul again writing this time to the church in Galatia brethren Even if anyone is caught in any trespass You who are spiritual restore such a one watch this restore them in a spirit of gentleness Each one looking to yourself So that you too will not be tempted Paul knew, you and I know, that when a person comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, they're not put into some kind of Jesus bubble where, you know, temptation no longer affects them. They're no longer, you know, they're just like bulletproof to any, immune to any and everything that the enemy would throw at them and the world would, would, you know, throw in front of them and their their flesh is no longer a problem. Has anybody reached that level in your life? Because I haven't. No, Paul, Paul's just being pragmatic here. He knows that even those who are in a relationship with Christ sometimes stumble, they sometimes fall. But the implication from Galatians 6.1 is is that you found out about it and you're going to that person and you're helping them work through whatever this issue is in their life. There's an old saying, I don't know if you've heard it Up but there's an old saying that says the Christian army is the only army that shoots their wounded. Meaning, oh, that person messed up. Forget about them. Well, we won't forget about them. We'll go gossip about them, but... but no, to come alongside people who perhaps have have gone, they've, they've they've allowed something to come into their life that's contrary to what God wants, or they've done something that is that is not, or they've not brought something into their life that God has an expectation on their life. To come alongside of them, are you willing to do that? To inspect someone's life who's a disciple of Christ and they're trying to grow in the same, come alongside and say, "Hey, hey, man, I love you, and this is not right. This has got to change in your life." But I know, I know, I know. Well, Jesus said don't judge, can't judge. Now listen, when people make that statement, uh, they're referring to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where Jesus said, do not judge lest you be judged. And then he goes on and explains it. But in the context, and you go back and read it yourself, what is abundantly clear is what Jesus is referring to is a judgmental spirit. Someone that wants to come and, and, and make you look Worse than them. Or make yourself look better than them. Or somehow say, look at, look at me. Look at, look at that person. I'm, I'm so much better. That's what he's talking about. Look what he says in verses 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. And behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Notice he doesn't say, leave your brother alone. Leave that speck in his eye. Sure, it'll get infected, he'll lose the eye, but he's got another one. He doesn't say that. What he says is, you better be looking at your own life. You better be inspecting your own life. And make sure as best you know how you're walking in accordance with God's will for your life. And not in, a, not in a critical spirit, not in a, I'm so spiritually superior to you, let me point out this speck in your eye. Not, not in that type of attitude, but with humility and a recognition that, hey, it could be me, that could happen to me. A willingness to say, I love my brother, I love my sister enough to go to them and say, listen, that's, yeah, I gotta tell you, I had a little fun with, uh, with Russell Hill this week, uh, and you got to understand, Russell is one of the guys, I meet with several guys during the week, different times during the week, I do some mentoring, uh, and we do some accountability, which is really what this is talking about, this idea of inspecting, that it's accountability, and uh, so I had some fun with Russell this week, um, I was on my way, uh, I was on 70 Glenwood Avenue, heading to Briar Creek, and, um, and, and right across from Fred Anderson, somewhere right, like, right in that area, across from Fred Anderson, Toyota, is an adult bookstore, and, um, uh, so, as I drove by there, there is a, there is a, a Toyota FJ in the driveway exactly like Russell's. <laughs> Same color. I mean, I mean, it looks just like it. Now, listen, I knew it wasn't his because it didn't have that tint on the roof that he always keeps that tent on there, and after I tell this story, Russell will never take that tent off for as long as he has that vehicle. He'll, but the, the tent wasn't on there, and uh, and I and I knew there wasn't a cross culture sticker on the side of the vehicle like Russell has on his. Whew. <laughs> yeah, I heard of your church. Saw sticker in the bookstore. No, <laughs> so I knew it wasn't him. But but I called him up, and uh, and he answered the phone, and I I said, uh, man, I, I want to ask you, are are you at the, I forget how I said it exactly. I said, just want to check and make sure you're not at the adult bookstore. I wish y'all could have heard the silence. It was priceless. <laughs> it's just silence. And then finally he says, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> and I told him, I started laughing. I told him, I'm just, I'm just pulling your leg. I'm just kidding with you. But you know what? Here's what I was thinking later. If I had thought it was his vehicle, would I have still picked up the phone and called? Or would I have just kind of Turn and looked the other way, looked at the other Toyotas across the street and pretended I didn't see his. See, it's the willingness to come alongside someone and say, it's because I love you, I want to show you what God's word says. And, and help me, if I'm wrong, tell me, but, but I see this going on in your life. Can I help you with it? And man, you, you feel free to help me, the things in my life that, you know, to inspect them, to come alongside people and do just that. Okay, uh, what do we got real quickly? Uh, one more, include them. Include these these new believers. Include these disciples that are trying to grow just like you are. Include them in your life. See, that's what I love about Paul. Watch this. Look at this passage of Scripture. Philippians chapter 4. Watch this now. The things you have learned, that's not all, and received and heard, watch this, and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Look at the same verse, but in the New Living Translation. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. You see, Paul doesn't just say, All right, class, open your Torahs to Deuteronomy. Let me teach you. Finished. Peace be with you. No, he, 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 he invites them into his life. He says, come, come on, hang out with me, live with me, see how I do this. And I honestly believe Paul is not bragging. Paul is not puffing himself up. Paul's not trying to, oh, look at me, super Christian. No, he's just, he's just, Paul knows this truth. And you know, this is truth too, that the best teacher is example, isn't it? Isn't it? And so Paul says, you watch my life, you see the things I do. And so they looked at Paul, imperfections and all, and he wasn't perfect and he wasn't sinless. But Paul invited them in, in imperfections and all, and let them see his life. He says, now you can learn from that. You can let people in to your life. Let other believers in as well. Uh, Proverbs, uh, I was reading in Proverbs this week, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. It's just, man, the, the... what, why do we do this? We, we, we see people come to Christ. We see a person make a commitment and, and say, I want to give my life to Christ. And we celebrate and we're so happy. And, and then what do we do? We turn them right back out to go back into the world, that, the only world they've ever known. It pulls them back towards the things of the world instead of pulling to, to us leading them toward the things of God. First uh, Thessalonians, Paul said this, Having so fond an affection for you, I, I love you so much. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, not not just what I taught, not just the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. I love you. I care about you, so I'm going to let you into my life, and I'm going to come into your life. I'm going to call you on things that I see, and you can call me on things. It's doing life together. Can I tell you, one of the greatest ways that we do that across Culture is through our life groups. If you're not in a life group, you need to be in a life group. We have such great life groups. We have... We have great teachers. We have great leaders in our life groups. And that they, it's just doing life together. The people in life groups, they aren't perfect. Well, I went there and they made me mad. Well, go to the next group. Let them make you mad too. Because they will. Because, hey, we're, all, we're just people. And we're never going to get it all right. But to do life together. That's what Bill says all the time. I said part of the motto of life groups. Doing life together. Serving each other. ministering to each other. And ministering to others together. And studying God's word together. And sharing our hurts and our needs and our wants and our joys and our triumphs. And that's what it is, to just include them as part of their lives. As best I can tell, that's just some ideas that I think God's word speaks to. That if we could do those in our lives, if we could begin to see those types of things, to introduce them, to intercede, to instruct, to inspect, to include them into our lives, I believe you'll see people in this maturation process. You'll see people... Moving from being introduced to Jesus, making decisions for Jesus by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and then growing in that relationship with Christ, so that they're able to turn around and do the same thing for somebody else, and the same thing for somebody else, and the same thing for somebody else, and it continues on. That's duplication.
0: Bringing them in by introducing men and women to Jesus, interceding on their behalf instructing them in the things of God, inspecting their lives to help them in their walk with Christ, and including them in our lives. Those five components are an important part of duplicating ourselves by making disciples. As we saw from a number of passages, the Apostle Paul poured his life into making fully devoted followers of Jesus. You and I are called to do the same thing. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk.